So we shortened the sermon text because we're Baptists, and I've been getting y'all out here past 12 o'clock. I had to repent, y'all. I know y'all want to go eat and live life, and I'm not doing a good job as a Southern Baptist minister. I grew up missionary Baptist. I'm trying to work on this. Can y'all work with me? We're going to work together on this. I'm just messing. Um, The real reason was, as I was going through, and initially a couple of months ago, when I wrote out this kind of like the week-by-week sermons, I had Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Um, It kind of flowed together, but I believe that 1 through 16 could be broken up into almost three sermon series because of the way that there's a shifting from Paul teaching in chapters 1 through 3 on the doctrinal truth of Jesus Christ and the salvation and the mystery of salvation to him really talking about how do we apply this to our lives. How do we understand our individual salvation? How do we understand that we are now brought into right relationship? We are unified with Christ. We, we are now living in a place where we want to be bound to Christ so we can accomplish this mission. The application is something I really want to take a lot more time to focus on because as New Testament church and as New Testament believers, this is how we are living out our day-to-day lives. Um, You have to have the theology. You have to have the the doctrinal truth. You have to have this. But unless we actually apply it to our lives on a day-to-day basis, unless we're actually living out what it means to understand the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has given for us, then we are just taking in and kind of hoarding this gospel but never actually going out and completing the mission of God. Every single individual Every single person has a purpose and a call on this earth. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you think your past is. You all have an individual purpose in this life to worship God in individual worship, to worship God in corporate worship and in church. But also, I believe that God is going to use every single one of you, Kayla, Aaron, I was about to say Joshash, Quentin, all of you guys individually to help people to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That's a part of our call to Christ. When we understand and we start to celebrate the understanding that Jesus Christ has brought us into redemption, he has brought us into a place where we now are reconciled with God, the celebration of our life is that Christians should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And the the first verse that we we go in here today is Paul is talking about unity in the body of Christ. And we're just going to go through verses 1 through 4. We may actually just do 1 through 3 today. But he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We could stop and preach a whole sermon on that verse right there. And we're going to focus on that a lot today. Paul is he's pleading to the Ephesians. He's pleading to his Gentile and Jewish brothers and sisters. He's saying, you understand this great sacrifice God has done for you. You understand that, that God has given his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. And the re- proper response should be, how do we then walk in a life that is worthy of that sacrifice? In the book of, um, the book of Acts, it talks about in chapter 2, when Peter goes forth after they were room praying to God. Um, Peter goes forth and he preaches this, this fire sermon. It would be like him going to Dallas, Texas, and he has this whole arena of people, and he's preaching to them, and 5,000 some people come, and they receive Jesus Christ. The response of the people when they heard the gospel was that the gospel cut them in their heart, and they responded by saying, what then shall we do? He said, receive salvation and be baptized. There isn't this, this thought that 
when you're living out your life as a Christian, that you receive the doctrinal truth and you, you take it and you just say, that was great, I received salvation. God gives us grace then to start applying it to our life as individuals. That's where our individual call comes into play. As we go through chapter 4, we're going to look at God's giftings, God's grace, God's blessings that he's given us and pastors, preachers, apostles, and teachers. But then also, how do we as a church body become unified with Christ? But we can't do that until we individually learn how do we walk according to God's purpose and to God's will. There's going to be two focuses over the next weeks. If you're taking notes, two focuses. This week's focus is going to be applying God's purpose in the church and in our individual lives. And next week, the part two to this is going to be seeing the diverse gifts for the church and how do we apply these diverse gifts into our church to walk according to God's purpose and to God's will. So in verse 1, it says this. It says, therefore, as a prisoner to the Lord, Paul is saying, as he said, he's bound himself to Christ. He's binding himself to live with Jesus Christ to the purpose that he had, the special purpose of teaching to the Gentiles. would seem like an impossible, insurmountable task. And his goal was to teach and to preach to the Gentiles who were far away from God. And the Jews didn't believe that they were worthy of having um, salvation. Quentin, he didn't believe that they were worthy of that calling. And his job was to go out and to teach that. And I, I told you this, I said, it would be almost like me going out like Martin Luther King and trying to reconcile people in the civil rights era. It's an impossible task, but when we bind ourselves to Jesus Christ and not the task, then we can sustain because we are not focusing on our own strength, but we're focusing on the spirit of God to guide us through this. So as we are walking out our day-to-day -day lives, Paul uses the word walk. He uses that word as in, how do we conduct ourselves every single day? Y'all know me. I got a temper sometimes. I try to, try to bring it in, especially when basketball is involved, individual peoples. Tommy's been to meetings with me before with other church folk. He knows that sometimes I can, I can get riled up, and I can get, get kind of hyped when I hear something that I believe may be wrong or right. And even this week, I had to repent myself that there was a situation in the city, and I had to pull back and I say, I handled this incorrectly. Number one, as a Christian, but number two, as a pastor and a leader in our community, and I had to go repent to some people, some people who are higher up and say, hey, listen, I realize I made a mistake in the way that I was um, approaching this. And I even went for pastoral support, and I said, I'm not conducting myself in a way that's glorifying God. God, help me to understand and to be led by your spirit, not by the flesh and in the world. It's easy in that moment to be able to start to think about that my title that I live by gives me a right and an authority to react in a way that may not be uh, lining up with the gospel. I sometimes can get caught up in my authority as a pastor or a person in the community and saying, I have rights to say this because I'm frustrated and I'm mad or I want to live this way, but does it line up with the gospel? Because my walk with Jesus Christ is no different than anybody else's, and the call that we have is to conduct ourselves as the leaders in the community. No different than your all's cause, no different than mine, that the individual people that you may be stewarding may be your sons or your daughters or your friends around you. So as we start to think about how do I conduct myself in the right way, how do my actions and my life, how do they reflect the attributes of Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day basis? When we know that in Ephesians 1, Paul does that, said us that the prince of the earth, the prince of the world and the air, Satan is out there trying to pull us away from God. 
It's, it's most people, when they start to preach this, they just start to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And what they, what they kind of do is they draw this line in the sand and they say, as a Christian, you should live this life as holy and righteous. Abstain from everything that, that isn't of God. But then they also say, they start to kind of do what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sadducees do. They add certain things onto it that they're like, oh, well, you should have to pay this Corbin tax. We'll talk about the Corbin tax later on down the line. Or when you do your sacrifices, you need to make sure that your sacrifices are, are brought to my standards, not to God's standards of how they should be done. And we as the church sometimes, we put these extra standards on people as opposed to saying, God, what is your will for my life and how was your spirit leading me? When you start to get to a place where you teeter this line of, of I can't do this, but I can do this. I, I, I shouldn't be able to go out and do this and be a part of this. And I should be able to do this. It starts to become a stressor on your individual life. I've always told people, I don't focus on what I can't do with God, but I focus on what I can do with God and his Holy Spirit leading my life. What is God through this individual relationship and his spirit leading my life, empowering me to overcome and empowering me to do in my worship of God? If I focus on, God, what are you calling me to do and how are you equipping me and giving me strength to do it? I don't have the burden of saying, I can't do this, this, and this because my life is so filled with God and I'm being guided by his Holy Spirit then I can want to abstain from those things, and I can not want to do those things because I'm being guided by his Holy Spirit and his righteousness. The transformation in the Christian life isn't something that just happens overnight. And there's a lot of pressure on people when they come to Christ, and as we're living our lives, to be like the perfect holy Christian, like, you're holier than thou. Like when you walk into a room, they think like you should like float in, and you're glowing, and it's like, oh. Our lives aren't like that, y'all. The misconceptions are out there. And I mentioned last week when we, when we talked about the lives of the disciples and, and Peter and Paul as apostles, they had a process to their promise and their life of transformation. But they were able to do it by abiding in the wisdom that Jesus Christ had gave them before he left and abiding in the wisdom that even Paul had. Jesus Christ in John chapter 13 um, you don't have to go there, but you can. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Jesus was speaking very plainly to his disciples in 13, 14, and 15. I love, I go back and I'll probably read this about once a month because it's good wisdom on how do we understand how to live our lives connected to Christ. And the disciples were living with Jesus Christ, and they were connected to God on a day-to-day -day basis. He's teaching them now. He's saying, hey, listen. For you to continue to live this life, you've got to abide in the vine. We did a sermon series um, a couple months back about abiding in the vine, staying connected to God, staying connected to your resource and your source of power. If you know anything about a tree, its, its roots are built into a firm foundation, and it is being watered the right way. And if we're in God's firm foundation of the words and the apostles and the prophets, and we are being fed by God's word, which is the physical word, but by his Holy Spirit teaching us, we then are going to grow, and we're going to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, and we're going to produce fruits that are going to be a reflection of God. So what he's reminding them, he's telling them this. He's saying, hey, listen, if you want to be connected to me and you want people to know that you're connected to me, I'm going to give you this commandment. He says this in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love or sorry, to love one another. And he says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Y'all want to write that down on there. Y'all say love. We're going to do it like the old Baptist church. Y'all say love. Okay, you get, we, we are really Southern Baptists right now. Y'all like, oh, it's, it's Valentine's Day week. Can I get that in there? Can we say love? Look at your neighbor. I want you to look at your neighbor real quick and say, I love you. We're going we're gonna to work. This is why I need you all to come. I need you all to come to Metro on Wednesday. <laughs> and we're going to show. This is how it works out. We're going to be like, you love your neighbor. But listen. Jesus Christ is saying, for you to be bound to me and for people to know that your life is worthy and a reflection of me, we have got to love one another. We've got to learn how to bear each other's burdens. We've got to learn how to have patience with each other. And it's only by sacrificially doing so that we can, that we can show that we love our brothers and sisters. He continued John in chapter 15, and he says this in verses 3 through 11. He says in verse 3, he says, already you are clean, as he reminded us in chapter 1 of Ephesians. We've been clean. We have been brought to the place where we are holy among God through his sacrifice. And he says, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anybody does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branches and he withers. And the branches are gathered together into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given and done to you. By this, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you to prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that you may have joy and that the joy may be full in your life. So the one thing he says is for us to abide in Christ, not in the world, not in what everybody else has for us, because our second point is this, is that let the word and the spirit transform your life, not the world around us. Like I mentioned, we teeter that line of what is going to be the greatest influence in our life, the gospel of Jesus Christ or the world around us. There are many warnings that Jesus Christ in the Bible has for us, and he reminds us that the enemy is prowling around the corner. He's waiting for the opportunity for us to possibly have a moment when we are tempted, because we're all tempted every single day. I'm tempted to go off on that person at work who just keeps coming in my office, keeps asking me the same question, and I'm like, Jesus, you got to help me right now today. Help me to have patience. Help me to have peace. Help me to have calm. Help me to bear with this person. It's hard when you're walking out your individual life, when you have individual temptations to look this way and to think about this person a certain way. There are temptations that we face every single day. And I think that we, we live in a place where we shame those who have temptations, which are normal in our lives. But it's a matter of do you enact on those temptations or do we choose to say, God, I live sacrificially so I can overcome these situations in life. Many people, I tell my young people, y'all deal with anger and angst 
and frustrations on a day-to-day basis. People are going to come at you and personally attack you, but how do we choose to live in a way that glorifies God when these people come after us? We abide in the vine, we abide in Christ, but we let the Word and God's Spirit navigate our lives so we give ourselves entirely over to the gospel because of his saving grace. I said this last week. I remind myself of where I was, not so that I'm convicted by man. I can't believe I was such a bad person. But it reminds me of God's grace and his love for my life to bring me out of that place. Like in your baptism, when you remember how you were baptized in Christ, how you died to those sins, but God rose you back up as a new creation That's the encouraging part to know that then you are led by his Holy Spirit and not by the things of the world. As Paul was saying, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You was messed up. You was living ratchet. No, focus on your salvation, the greatest joy that we have. Paul also speaks in Romans. He says in 12 verses 1 through 2, he reminds us on how do we live according to the Spirit of God. So when we come to salvation, we make that that moment and we we say, God, I lay down these sins. I lay down all this stuff. It's not just in that one moment that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is a continual infilling in us that he guides us every single day to be the persons that he's called us to be in our walk. And he says in Romans 12 and 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and what is perfect in his life. What is good, what is willing, and what is acceptable. I think to myself, kids ask me questions all the time. They'll ask you things like, Mr. Farmer. I'm like, okay, I remember this on Undefeated. It was one of the first weeks we were here, Lil Bill. I love Lil Bill. He asked me, like, one of those questions. Um, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, is it a sin if? I was just like, I knew I'm in for one of those deep theological questions right now. When somebody starts off a conversation, is it a sin? And then if, I'm, I'm, I sit up and I get, I get my chest right. I'm like, all right, am I, am I ready for this? He goes, is it the sin if I slap my barber? I was like, what? <laughs> Started this off like this. If I slap my barber on the third Thursday of the month, if he messes my, line, my edge up right. And I said, what? And I said, he was just like, is it the sin if I slap him because they messed up my hair? And I was like, no. And I'm like, but he's thinking to himself, he's, he's so focused on, can I get away with hitting somebody and it's still being biblically right? Rather than saying, let me humble myself right now, let me lay down the the sacrificial want to hurt somebody, let me lay this down to God right now and be led by the Spirit of God. Because the human nature in your flesh is saying that somebody did me wrong, so I now have a right for retaliation. When we start to let ourselves be led by the flesh, and that's really saying I'm going to sacrifice my personal humanistic thoughts on how I should handle a situation, I'm sacrificing that and laying it down to God because I believe your will is greater than mine. Then we can walk on mission. Then we can walk by the will of God because he is equipping us and we are willing and able to do. It's not teetering on that line of can I slap my barber on the second Tuesday, the third Tuesday of the month because he did me wrong. It's no. As I grow closer to Christ, I learn to abide in him, and I want to reflect him. When somebody does me wrong, when somebody messes up my life, it's the thought 
in the understanding that eternally my soul is within God's hands and his grace will help me to sustain for the greater vision of God. What if Paul the apostle, as a Roman, he had rights as a Roman person, said, I enact my rights right now as a Roman person to get out of prison. He could have done it easily. He could have said, my worldly rights that I have right now enable me to get out of this situation. But he said, no, I live as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. I've bound myself to this mission. I've bound his, myself to his greater work. And it's the encouragement that if we continue to live with Jesus Christ, it's not what we can accomplish in the world, but what can we accomplish in the kingdom of God that ultimately is going to bring people to salvation. It's going to bring us into right standing with God. It is not always easy, y'all. It is not always easy. It's not always easy to go after back and they have to repent for something that you believe is in your flesh and in the world righteous when you see injustices happening to people in your, in your community and in your world. But then you have to also realize, listen, as God has given me grace, I pray that I can give that same grace to somebody else. So let me stop and stop judging by my worldly standard, but let me judge by the standard of Jesus Christ and God. We can only do so by abiding in Christ and letting his word and his spirit enable us and equip us and to be transformed. That word transformation, I think, that we just think is just like, oh, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm just going to start, I'm going to pull up my pants when I come into church. Okay, we, we think about the physical outwardness of just being like, I look different, I act differently, but it's really inside that you're allowing God's spirit to guide your life. Paul was talking about here, he, he reminds us, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This isn't just a one-time thing. It means every single day, as he said in another scripture, I die daily because I've got to renew my mind. Why? Because what I put into myself is ultimately what's going to come out. So as our lives, there is an individual mandate to say, what am I doing in my personal life that is not reflecting Jesus Christ? And how do I lay that down to God? I don't focus on laying all this stuff down. I focus on being closer to Christ. How, how, God, how can I draw closer to you? Why? Because you drew closer to me by coming off of your holy throne and living as a holy sacrifice and dying for my sins. So how much more should I give myself over fully to you? But how do I do it by your Holy Spirit? The second part of that, he says, by this we can discern what is the will of God and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Y'all, I don't want a church that just sits in the pews and we come here, we go on Facebook Live. I want to produce fruit. I want to produce things that are going to come out of this church that are going to be able to enable this community to be what God has called it to be. We can only do so by giving fruits and seeds of goodness to those who are all around us. It doesn't matter if we come to Christ and we come to an individual relationship and understanding who God is unless we start to then understand that there is a call and a mandate for us to share the gospel with those who are far away from God. For us to do so, it's the individual thought that we've got to start to produce things in our lives that feed and help our community, but it's by our individual relationship that we can do that corporately. I cannot be a part of this church unless, as a pastor, I'm giving myself fully to the gospel. I'm laying down those things that, that hindered me. I, I said this a couple months ago. I said I had to openly repent to the church and say, I'm not leading well as a pastor because I'm not living in a place of full sacrifice for the work of the gospel. I understand that my calling 
as, as a minister of the gospel may mean that I have to give certain things up, but is it, is it in a place to where I do it willingly or am I doing it begrudgingly? Am I wanting to be in a deeper place in relationship with God or am I doing it out of just an act of service? I want to do it because I understand the great sacrifice Jesus Christ has had for us and for me and the honor for us to lead in this community. Paul continues on in the Galatians in 5 and 16. Some of y'all know this, the fruits of the Spirit. Isn't there a song about the fruits of the Spirit? Some of y'all went to Christian school. I know some of y'all went to Christian school. Y'all know, how, how's, the, how's the song go? Nobody knows the song? Nobody knows the song? I know some of y'all know this song. Y'all just being shy right now. The fruits of the Spirit are... I'm just going to read the scripture, and then, then, then next week we'll do a song, and y'all can remix it, and y'all can do the Millie Wop with it, and y'all can, I don't know, whatever. Kayla can do a TikTok to it. I don't, you can make us a TikTok to the fruits of the Spirit. Can you do that for us? Okay, yeah. You, you, listen, you are now on blast right now. We're going to make a dope TikTok that's going to get 10,000 views with the fruits of the Spirit. Can you do this for me? Oh, my goodness. Kayla's not going to do it for me. So this is what the scripture in the word says. Paul is reminding them, he says, keep in step with the spirit of God. He's reminding us to keep in step, keep connected to the spirit. Let the spirit guide you. And as he's guiding us, he's going to help us to abstain from certain things, but then he's going to help us to produce certain things. Side note to this, I never want to, in the kingdom of God, pursue a title as opposed to pursuing what God has wanted me to produce. In, in our lives, as, as it talks about living in a worthy manner of the kingdom of God, don't pursue a title as opposed to pursuing what your purpose is. I think there's a, there's a thing in the church that the end all be all is that you're the worship leader or that you're the pastor or that as you come to Christ, you, we all esteem for these places. People ask me, why did I wait nine years to become a pastor? Because I didn't want to do it. I didn't, want to, I, didn't want to, I didn't want that responsibility. But I said, I knew when I knew that I knew that I could not run from it anymore. And when God had perfected in me his works, that I would be ready to do so, we did it. But it doesn't mean that the person who sits in the pew and does nursery or does prayer intercession or, or runs the media or does worship does not have still a greater purpose or a lesser purpose than what I do. I, I tell people all the time, I say, I want to be that old saint when I grow up that just sits and prays and intercedes for people in the background. Why? Because they're not pursuing a title, but they're pursuing the purpose that God has made you to do. Listen, if your purpose is to bake cakes, honey, I want you to bake the best cakes in the world. I want you to come here every Sunday. I want, I want an old lady to come here every Sunday and be like, I bake the cake for the kids. And we just eat that cake, and I feel the Holy Ghost in that cake. And I'm like, God, you done blessed me because you're filling up my belly before service. I need that. I need people like that. Not right now, Quentin. You just, you just, like, just like, man, it's showtime at the Apollo. Huh? What? <laughs> we talking about for everybody. We just talking about, I just use that as an example, Quentin. Welcome to Risen City Church, y'all. <laughs> but whatever your calling and your gifting is, and as we go in the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn about what the gifts are to the church as the pastors, the apostles, the preachers, but individuals also. How do we edify the church as a whole? So Paul is telling us, as he's, as he's saying, as we walk in the Spirit, he's going to help us to abstain from certain things, but also to be able to produce certain things. He says this in verse 16 in chapter 5 of Galatians. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We could end the sermon right there, put an amen to it, but I got eight more minutes, so I'm gonna use my eight minutes, y'all. 
I know. I'm going to use my eight minutes. He says this, by this, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit of God. And the desires of the flesh are against, I'm sorry, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those, for those are opposed to each other. It says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It says, by if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensationalism, idolatry, sorceryism, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those things do, as it, that, that those who do these things, such as these, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but as he has enabled us to stay away from those things. He says, but if you stay and you abide to me, the purpose of your life is to produce these things. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with it with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep with the Spirit. Let us not become conceit, provoking one another and envying one another. As the scripture says, God wants us and he will enable us as we stay connected to Jesus Christ day by day to be able to produce the good works in our lives to edify the kingdom of God and our brothers and sisters when people talk about living a life that is connected to Christ, living a life that enables us to love our brothers and sisters, it means that we're going to have to say a no to the world. We're going to have to stop and say, what things am I going to do for Jesus Christ and what things am I going to say no to the world about? There is a great theologian and a pastor friend of mine shared this with me this week. He said that to live Worthy of a calling means to say no to the world and the things of the flesh. Um, there's a great theologian, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody heard of him? I love Dietrich. I, like, bought his books this week. I was like, I read a lot of, a lot of him earlier on, and then a lot of this stuff, I'm like, I need to get back into this. Um, I used to quote some of his stuff, and my friends would be like, you're the Wesley, and you're the holiness movement. Like, I'd be like, what does that even mean? Because I didn't know I was a young Christian. It just meant there was a time in my life where I said, I would rather abstain from things that were going to lead me away from God that I may have rights to, even biblically, because I know that as I'm growing that I need to connect myself more to God. Sometimes we don't, we don't think about abstinence from certain things in the Bible as, as um being something that can strengthen us. But when we fast and we pray, these are times that we connect ourselves with God so we can be in a deeper place in the relationship so we can work in the, according to the calling of God. So it says here, Dietrich says this, he says, you have only one master now, but with this yes to God requires your no to all injustice, to all evil, to all lies, and to all oppression and violation of the weak and the poor and to all ungodliness to all mockery of what is holy. Your yes to God requires a no to everything that tries to interfere with your serving God alone, even if it is your job, your possessions, your home, or your honor in the world. Dif dis I'm sorry, belief 
means making that decision, means checking your life and saying, where can I lay these things down to God? Verse 2 in Ephesians 4, and we're going to finish up here if we're going to do a song, and then we'll do a chance to do communion together. Verse 2 says this. It says that with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, Verse 3 also tells us to eagerly, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's telling us this. He's saying, hey, listen, Paul is encouraging us to walk by the Spirit and walk by God. But we've got to do it with all humility, humbly laying down these things in our lives. Humbleness is hard. I know that personally. I struggle with this. I tell people a lot of the times, I say, don't praise me because I deal with pride. That's one thing that I tell people. I said, I deal with pride. And I said, but God has helped me over the years to be able to pull back that flesh side of pride, to be able to say, God, if I do receive something, let me glorify you through it all. Let, let me lay this down sacrificially so I can be humble, not to glorify myself or let the flesh go in array. But God, let me be able to say that I'm humble because I love you, and I lay it down because I want to reflect you. The Bible, when Paul was teaching about this in the Jewish and the Gentile culture, especially um, in this time in the Greek, humility was not something that was looked at as something to, to praise. Pride was something that people wanted to, pe wanted, wanted to people to go after. It was distasteful. In the pagan world that Paul lived in, to have pride, I'm sorry, to have humility, pride was more highly praised. You get to think, in the Roman time, the pride of being the governor, the pride of having a title, the pride of being the king, the pride of being the centurion, that pride is of the world and of the flesh. Paul is urging everyone, he's saying, walk in humility, walk in gentleness. Y'all, it's hard to walk in gentleness, my undefeated kids. It's hard that when somebody's coming at your throat every single day just talking about you, your mama, your grandma, how about you be gentle with that person? That means you give them a little bit of extra grace because you've received grace also. Patience, giving people an allotment of time. Time is the most valuable thing that we have in life. Are we willing to give time to our brothers and sisters? It's by the grace of God that we're still here. I was talking this week about how there is a... Um, a grace that all people have. God's grace is for humanity to, to come to the understanding of who God is, but there's also a special grace that God gives us, and God is being patient with us so we can come to the understanding of God. And also walking with love and bearing each other's burdens. As a church, I pray and I hope that we can be that reflection to our brothers and sisters around us. Sometimes I'm not patient. Sometimes I don't want to bear my, my brothers and sisters' burdens. Sometimes I don't want to be humble, but I also know that humility comes with the lifestyle that we're living. Pride comes before the downfall. I recognize in my life when I started getting prideful, I said, God, help me not to be prideful because I feel as though I can be far away from God. In those moments and times when the flesh may creep in, are we willing and able to say, God, enable me to do your will above everything else as opposed to what the world wants me to do? It's not always easy, y'all. That's when we bring things to God. A, a smart person told me one time, they said, God, I need you to convict me on this if it's wrong because I need your wisdom and guidance in my life. 
to understand how to navigate my life by the Spirit. The Word also tells us, it says, submit yourself humbly before the Lord, and in due time, He will put you to a place of honor. Let's remember where we are going with this. The kingdom of God is not just in this moment in time, but it's understanding that we bind ourselves to Jesus Christ sacrificially as Paul did, and that ultimately the kingdom, when we leave this earth, is going to thrive, and we can move forward by sacrificially giving ourselves over to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Paul finishes off, and he says, Be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit has given us unity. Harmony in Jesus Christ's body is the purpose. So thus, as Christians, let us live accordingly to the purpose of God and strive to live in unity with each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn the service over to, I've all said, Lord, I've all called you St. Timothy, St. Tommy, as we end in worship. Mm-hmm.